Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Neon and Hulu, presenting Palm Springs, starring Andy Samberg, Kristen Milioti, and J.K. Simmons. Name one of the best films of 2020 by The New York Times, The Washington Post, IndieWire, Vogue, and more. Variety's Clayton Davis raves, Palm Springs is a brilliant love story that is both moving and unconventional. Palm Springs, for your consideration in Best Picture and all other categories. From Variety, celebrating 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. I watched my parents come from a tiny, tiny, small house behind our uncle's store. You know, like my dad was like stocking shelves to building their own business and then like making enough to live in a quiet suburb and for them to afford a college education for their kids. And then for me to be in this position, like, I feel so fortunate. I mean, this is like the most immigrant dream for their son to be able to have the freedom to pursue something in the arts, you know, and let alone succeed to any capacity. Minadi star Steven Yun could be the first Asian American ever nominated for Best Actor at the Oscars after 93 years. I'm Clayton Davis. On this edition of the Variety Award Circuit podcast, we talk to Steven Yun about his Oscar contender, Minadi. Yun talks about getting involved with Lee Isaac Chung's moving portrait of a family living in Arkansas, working with his dynamic cast, and what he hopes it will do for Asian representation. Later in the show, we sit down with Philippa Sue and Kathy Ong and discuss their voice work in Netflix's Over the Moon, and the Award Ticket Roundtable discusses all the changes within the Golden Globes and what we all watched over the holiday break. It's a new year and a new episode of the Variety Award Circuit podcast. Stay close. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Variety Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Clayton Davis, Film Awards Editor at Variety, here today with Janelle Riley. New Year, new us. Jess Sankey. 2021. Hello. And Michael Schneider. Happy New Year, everyone. So we made it. We did it. <laughs> it's all it's all good now, right? Yeah. Pandemic over. Guys, uh, we're, we're in the same room right now. <laughs> <laughs> Feel a lot like 2020 still, but would you uh, stop hey. with that, Mr. Negativity? <laughs> I this know. Is, everything's right, gonna be great. <laughs> From January 20 onwards. 
we we had a little time off, so we did have a chance to take a take a breath, maybe watch some things over break. So what what did everyone do? What did uh, you catch up on over the holiday? Uh, I caught up on sleep. I slept nice. so much this last week and a half, basically. Uh, yeah, it was it was wonderful. And then um, getting away from the awards beat, I decided to watch all three Black Christmas movies out of order. So that was pretty much how I spent my holiday. Oh, wow. I, yeah, I got a lot of sleep, which was like, wow, what is this thing? Um, so I saw a teacher, which I have no idea. It was... I highly recommend it. It's such an easy watch. It's so predictable. Um, but that was a fun escape. Jen and I, well, Jen caught up on Queen's Gambit, which is even better the second time. Promising Young Woman, so I've shown her some of the awards movies and Nomadland. Um, and there's a few other films that I saw that I can't quite mention, but... Ooh, <laughs> someone special. Fancy with the links. <laughs> By the way... Oh, we, 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 I feel we should point out that yeah. Jazz is wearing her Promising Young Woman shirt right now, and I am wearing my Promising Young Woman nails. Yes. Wow, wow. The, the, the merch coming, such, <laughs> such unlikely merch. Uh, I, saw, I saw Rogue Squadron, the Patty Jenkins movie that hasn't been made yet. I caught up with no more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I was doing a lot of catch-up because that's what I use that time for. Uh, I... Saw for the second time, but like with no distractions, a 40 year old version, Frada Blank, and still super is way doper the second time. Um, I caught up with a lot of docs. I saw 76 Days, which was heavy. Um, and then, uh, oh my god, there, there, was, there was a lot, like it all blurs together after a while. Um, this is how you guys spend your vacation. You, you continue movies, to watch yeah. movies. Because it's the only time that, like, there's, like, really no distractions. You could just, like, get into it. And, you know. But every night I do watch Shit's Creek before I go to bed. That's, like, my thing. Now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that, really that's a good thing to end, uh, end, end the night on. Yeah. Uh, well, I watched Soul, which which I liked. But, the, yeah, there, there was something I, I can't put my finger on it. I liked but didn't love and, and, and been trying to figure out why I didn't love it as much as I wanted to love it. But I liked it a lot. I, I appreciated what it was going for, but I've been dying to say it like this for a while without uh, – and people will probably have seen it already, hopefully. But spoiler alert in case you're there. Um, the film it reminded me of when I saw Brave for the first time. And you realize what Brave is about when you're in the middle of it. And then you go, oh, this is what this is about. So when this becomes like a body swap movie. With an like, animal. Oh, I was like, I, I, I can't believe this is what this is doing. Like, I, So I was, all, I was all on board for like the first 20 minutes. I was like, oh, world building. Let's get in a sense of the soul stuff. And then the body swap stuff just kind of. This is why I I have learned not to do footage screenings where they show you like the first 20 minutes of a movie. I was fooled by Michael Bay's The Island. They showed us everything in the facility and then they they cut it before they went into the quote unquote real world. I texted you guys when I saw Soul and I was like, it's so delightful. I was 20 minutes in. And that, not to say that the rest wasn't delightful. I mean, even the worst Pixar movie, and this is not the worst, is still great. So Soul is great, but it became a totally different movie. 
you know, shortly after that. And I was like, I should have held off on on forming an opinion until I'd seen yeah, the whole but, movie. But I but with that said, I think it's still good for animated feature nomination. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I think it's and I still think it's good for a score nomination, maybe a win somewhere down the line could be. Um, but I don't think this is good. I don't think this is best picture play. But there's some that feel though it is. But there is a divide, I'd say, in the film community. Like, there are people who love it, and there are people that are just like less than. I wouldn't say no one hates. It, <laughs> no, no one hates. You can't than. hate. No, Saul. you can't hate. Yeah. So um, I do have to say though, 76 days. I saw that a couple of weeks ago, and Clayton just said it's intense. It literally feels like you are in an ER room, Ooh. like watching a really heavy episode of ER for like what is it, an hour and a half. It's, a, it's an hour and a half, and it, it I would say not even ER. It feels like you're, because we've been home for 10 months, I feel like we were rip, I was ripped out of my house and put in the hospital to witness what happened while I was in my house, and that was a little heavy to, to endure. But um, in, in comparison to like something like Totally Under Control, which takes a political route, this is straight up you know Wuhan and what was happening there, which I think really hope hopefully will dissipate all the uh, chatter of internet saying that this was released from a country and all the bad stuff that happened. Well, another thing that I watched over break is finally finished uh, Queen's Gambit, like uh, Jazz was mentioning. And again, uh, a a series that can make chess exciting. Uh, They pulled it off. Uh, I have not finished it yet, and I can't because I'm not really getting into it. Like, I'm really struggling with it. I feel what? like a bad person. You're joking, I, right? Are you doing yeah, a bit? I, 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 I was in the first episode, and I was like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be, like, excited by this, but I'm not. And I, 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 need to, I think I need to give it another chance. And I, I genuinely get past like, the first episode. Yeah. I, I, I will say I, I teared up in the finale. I teared up. I mean. Okay. So maybe I think I need, I think I need to really like obviously I, I try to unplug mostly when I'm watching stuff, but like I I found myself going to do things while it was on. But I know I'm a minority here, so I'm gonna well, I'm in the minority. And, and I'll throw <laughs> one more show out there. I did not think I was gonna get into Bridgerton. But oh my god, yes, I did make Bridgerton. Bridgerton. Yes. yes. And you know what's funny is it took me a long time to get through the fir- the first episode. I don't know why. I just had a mental block. And then there's a turn at the end of the episode where I was like, oh, I'm all in. And then watched the rest of the episodes the very next day. Julie Andrews was was what kept me going for that. I was like, Julie Andrews like, as just Gossip to hear. Girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just to hear that. Oh well, okay, if we're doing one more show, then RuPaul's Drag Race is back and it's brilliant because they've got a new twist and yeah, that's what kept me. That's what. That's how I kicked off my 2021. So, there you go. Well, you know what's interesting is here we are sitting uh, as, as we're taping the first week of, of January, and in most years we will would have already had the globes under our belt. We would be knee deep in all of this. So obviously, such a fascinating year where we're still sort of you know looking toward the globes and SAG and everything else. And, and Clayton, you've been breaking some news about some category shifts, some uh, uh, eligibility changes uh, with the globes. Uh, run down what uh, what the, the headlines are. Yeah, well, let me let me start by saying this. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, or the day after you're listening to this, it will mark exactly one year since the conclusion of Oscar voting last year. We would normally be in Oscar voting right now, and we are in, I don't know what we, we are in, but we're in something in terms of looking around. Uh, big news out of uh, Globes 
is that promise a young woman is not funny. <laughs> I disagree, <laughs> but okay. It's not funny. <laughs> it, it's go. It's it's going drama. Um, another division in the internet space, and I, and I will say I don't disagree with anyone who feels that it's not a comedy, but I think it was okay to go comedy at the at the request of Emerald uh, Fennell, by the way. She's the one who wanted it to go comedy. So that is not funny. They have kicked it to drama. Uh, Maria Bakalova is going to be lead at the Globes, not supporting actress. If she gets an Oscar nomination for supporting actress and wins the Globe, she will be the second person to win the lead category at the Globes and get nominated in supporting at the Oscars. First one was Maggie Smith, 1978, California Suite. And Maggie Smith won the Oscar. Just saying. Um, other than that, um, oh my God, there's so much. Uh, Stanley Tucci got kicked out of supporting at the Globes for Supernova. So he will be in lead. All the boys from uh, One Night in Miami could not compete separately. Uh, they had to split up. Obviously, they, they had to stay together. So they gave Amazon the choice of all lead or all supporting. And they're all supporting. Um, and other than that, that kind of covers the big, big stuff. Oh, I'm sorry. Trevante Rhodes was submitted lead for United States versus Billy Holiday. Um, however, there's no final declaration on where he will be campaigned for the Oscars. So that was the big stuff out of the... Why are the Globes suddenly getting so serious and strict after years of things like The Martian being in that, comedy? And that's exactly yeah. why. The year of The Martian kick-started this whole, like, being really strict because, you know, the part in The Martian when he thought he was going to die and that made everyone laugh got under people's skin. And uh, they've been they've been really trying to hone in on it. Uh, one thing that I don't think we spoke about, Minari, uh, Minari not Minari, Minari, uh, cannot compete in drama category at the Globes. It is only allowed to compete in foreign language film, which, let's preface it with this, A24 submitted it in foreign language, but that's because it cannot be submitted in Best Picture Drama. The Farewell also did this last year, uh, and Aquafina won Best Actress, Comedy, or Musical. But is that because, like, what exactly is the rule? Is it because a certain percentage of the language is yeah, in another language? 50% has to be in English to compete in the picture, drama, or comedy musical category. However, this is where, uh, trying to do some research, we don't know for sure, but, uh, some, you know, the name of the category is Best Motion Picture Foreign Language. That's a technicality, right? So you can hone in on that. Um... However, I think one of two things needs to happen. They should allow them to compete in Best Picture Drama as well. Or they need to change the category name to Best English Language Drama or Best English Language Comedy Musical. But that's stupid. So you shouldn't. But interesting fact is this rule that's been in place for a while, um, Inglorious Bastards, is not more than 50% in English and competed in drama. And Babel, directed by Alejandro Gignaritu, won Best Picture Drama, and that thing is not more than 50% in English. So we, Interesting. There's some, uh, there's some speculation about where that goes. I, I don't know. It's also ironic that an organization called the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, made up supposedly of journalists all over the world, has you know such stringent rules 
about a foreign language category. And, and, a, and a lot of people have come out. Lulu Wong, obviously the director of The Farewell, she had tweeted out about it. Uh, John, uh, John Chu is going to be directing In the Heights. Like, you know, there were a lot of prominent people that came out and they, you know, and I get the technical, the technicality is it wasn't the, the Globes did not kick it to foreign language. Right. So we like we have to give them that part. But that's semantics. Yeah. They A24 made the rules. Didn't, yeah. A24 didn't submit it in drama because they couldn't because they knew they couldn't. It would get kicked. It would either get kicked out or they say you can't do this. Given the backlash that this has received, which is interesting that it, it wasn't this outrageous when last year when this happened to the farewell. Um, Although I do remember some some oh, backlash, sure, some, sure, some outrage. Like there, there, there was, and the reason why I think there wasn't as much is because Parasite was going to win that category anyway, and and Parasite was the official submission for South Korea. And I think people just like were like, fine, whatever, and they they didn't think it mattered to do an uproar, even though some people did. But now Minari, who's that's not a submission for any country, now people are like, wait, what does this really mean, best picture? Because it's really, you know, as we're trying to define what a TV and a movie is in the streaming space, best picture is a, another conversation we need to have. And it just uh, furthers a stereotype that only American films and English are important where we don't have an official language in this country. And it's a movie literally about the American dream set in America. It's, it's an American movie. With, yeah. <laughs> this, week, this week, Stephen Yun is on our podcast right. talking about that. Exactly. Oh, my God. Stay gosh. tuned for Stephen Yun. Um, and, and, and I think one of you mentioned, I mean, it's, it's like now suddenly the HFPA and the Globes have stringent rules. Like you know, this yeah. organization, which has always been a little off kilter. Yeah. And you know what's really interesting about that also is that animated feature, right? That's a new category they just created a few years ago. So there have been three animated films that won Best Picture, Comedy or Musical, Beauty and the Beast, Toy Story 2, and Toy Story, I think. I think the first one, too. They won, oh, The Incredibles is the other one, uh, was the third. So when they created the animated feature category at the Globes, they were no longer allowed to compete in Best Picture, Comedy or Musical. So per the rules, then you have to make the argument. So now it's not English language. You have to be a, a living, breathing human to be considered a best picture. <laughs> That's the category, you know, living, breathing, human, best actor. But but what's interesting, no documentaries can compete at the Golden Globes, not even in song. So I, I think, I think you know, this group of 90 journalists, you know, need to... <laughs> quote uh, marks, start, don't forget the quote marks. <laughs> yes, need to, like, really know what they're defining here in terms of, like, you know, where we want... Parasite became the first film to win best picture at the Oscars... And the reason probably it took so long for that to happen was because Roma couldn't win Best Picture a few years ago, drama at the Globes, because this rule's in place. So you need to, if you want to be important and on the forefront, you need to, you know, make some changes. They make changes, they, they discuss their changes every year after the ceremony. So surely this will come up in the springtime. You don't think there's any shot that they will change the rules for this year? No. No. No, they'll now, do it off. Now. If anything, it'll be after, right? Yeah, after. I can see maybe for next year, but not for, for definitely not this year. Yeah, somehow I don't see them like bowing to pressure because they're just a league unto themselves. This is, I'm going to do a Michael Schneider segue here. Not that I, we need to segue away from this topic, but I just want to put out that weekly reminder that I like to do on Twitter that critics are not Oscar voters. So yes. don't immediately assume that someone like Paul Racy is a lock 
for an Oscar nomination. I hope he is, but let's not sleep on him or any of these people who have been getting the, the critical accolades. Just remember Ethan Hawke from First Reformed. Mm-hmm. Remember Zhao yeah. Shuzhen yeah. from The Farewell. Um, nice example. Yes. He, le- he led the Critics Awards. He won he, so he had the many. most critic wins that year. Not since Peter Sarsgaard shattered glass did someone lead in critics wins and not go on to get nominated. Wow. The Follow the guilds. Follow the uh, guilds. Jennifer Best. Lopez? Yeah. yeah. Won so many critics. She, 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 she didn't lead, but she was yeah, she she had a lot. Mm-hmm. Um another one uh which interesting and she almost didn't. Marion Cotillard led the year of two days one night. That's and she right. missed everything. Yeah. She got in at Oscar at the end, but she led and she was gonna be the next one. So you, you and it's gonna be a long extended season. We're gonna be here again. Step outside <laughs> of film Twitter, find your voters. Some of them do actually post what they're watching and watch that what they're enjoying. Those are the people, not the critics, not film Twitter. We are driving a narrative. I will. I will say, by the way, that I don't know, Janelle, if this stuff to you or you, uh, Jazz, but I do. I found myself answering the phone a couple times over the break from voters asking, like, "Hey, what should I watch?" Because oh I don't yeah, know what mm-hmm. to watch. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that, I think I think more than ever, our jobs are going to matter a little more than than normal. Something I found interesting, though, was that a lot of them didn't have access to screeners. Mm-hmm. So, like, somebody in the Writers Guild was like, hey, I didn't get Nomadland, and I don't have Promising Young Woman, and it's like, and I've got to start working on this next week. So it's like, what I found interesting was that they didn't get screeners during the best time for them to to watch. Like, But it's funny, Nomad, Nomadland's on the platform. Like so, I mean, they, they also have the Academy Screening Room platform. It's, it's, this it's is an true. app this year. Uh, Nomad lands, but like uh, Minadi is not on the platform yet. But but also the platform and the Oscars. I, I you know I have to give them credit for really writing this line. You know, next year they're going off of DVDs. You're gonna be no more physical screeners anymore. They're using this app, which is really great. But I don't think they can keep up with <laughs> keep up with it as fast as as people are submitting. By before January first, there were two hundred and ten documentaries on the platform, and there's an and there was another dump coming that was going to be about thirty films. There's going to be two hundred and forty documentaries, and the Bake Off is in three weeks, and they have a required viewing uh, room. So Mike Schneider, you know, as a TV guy here. Uh, if you're a member of the documentary branch, you have to watch 20 – they're going to sign you 20% that you have to watch and then anything else you want to. So 20% of 240 is, what, 60? I can't do math that fast. We're, we're journalists. We don't do math. But that sounds yeah. like a lot. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a lot. <laughs> but, yeah, there's 60 movies that people have – and, like, listen, if you're really on it and how I want them to be, they're watching movies all year long. But maybe they haven't, and now they're going to have to plow through 60 movies – I think there's some things that are going to just be ignored or left off. I heard a, a quite a few members, okay, three, <laughs> um, <laughs> That's a few. Uh, complaining that they couldn't cast it to their TVs yeah. and they yeah. don't like watching it on there, There's a lot. There's a technical learning curve that needs to happen. I think a lot of them is the, you know, there's people just aren't tech savvy. Uh, for us, I think we could figure it out probably, but, you know, I, I've, I've heard publicists, awards body people going to members houses to show them how to use it yeah one of the members i talked to said that ever all that she has seen are the netflix movies 
because she can watch them on her TV. Interesting. Well, you know, I wonder, uh, over the break, normally SAG members have their screeners, and and they they didn't this year. So um, They're doing both, too. They have uh, a screening room and and DVDs. But there's, like, a bunch of rules now tied with that. They can only do, like, two email blasts, I think. Uh, You know, obviously they don't know who the nominating committee is. There's a lot of weird stuff happening uh, there with SAG. Also, part of that uh, news over the break, Hamilton, which is going to compete at the Globes as well in film, will be eligible at SAG, but in TV limited series. Yeah, I saw, I saw you did that panel, Clayton. So so that's that's interesting because, yeah, that, that was um, a murky <laughs> eligibility situation for that. Yeah, so, Sylvie's Love, same thing. Sylvie's Love is comedy musical at the Globes, but TV everywhere else. How? Did, do they make that decision when they submit it or... Because Uncle Frank did the same thing, yeah. I guess submitted that way, I guess. Hmm. I don't Fascinating. Know. Lots of confusion. By the way, you should you should all see Sylvie's Love. It's beautiful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hardcore. Let's do it. But I, actually, I, what, what I think the point of the segue was that critics awards and critics that don't vote of where we are currently right now in the we've had ten uh, critics announce uh, their winners so far over this time, which normally would be, we, you know, there's going to be about 80. Nomad, Nomadland leads in Best Picture wins. Uh, Chloe Zhao is perfect right now in director. She has not lost a director prize yet. Uh, Delroy Lindo is leading an actor for Defy Bloods, which is interesting. Um, because I wonder, being the critic's darling, if like we start talking about you know, if he could win, especially if Chadwick was going to win in supporting or something like that. But who knows? Uh, Francis McDormand leads actress. Paul Racy leads supporting actor. But I should note there's been 10. He's won five. And the other ones have been all different winners. It's all over the place. Uh, supporting actress just took the lead today because I'm about to post it. Uh, Yu Jong Yoon from Me Not E. Really? Oh my Maria gosh! Yes. She just overtook Maria Bakalova by one. She's up uh, by one right now. Original screenplay leader is Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, which I think is really interesting. Uh, Nomadland leads a- uh, adapted, and Soul leads animated feature. As we just pooped on it a few seconds. We still like Soul. We still we like did it. We not poop on Soul. We love yeah. Soul. <laughs> Uh, Nomadland also leads cinematography as well, which I think is really interesting because I thought Mank was going to like really rip through that and it has not. By the way, I got a Nomadland screener. Is that the first screener to sort of go out? Uh, I got a screen, I got a screener for Nomadland. I know it's on the platform. It's been on the platform for a while, but I just got one like recently. It was one of the early screeners that went out for sure. And and Soul also leads uh, score wins as well. Which really? I, which six, which is pretty, and not That's everyone gives one out there. Um, Time also leads documentary, and another round leads uh, international feature. You mean foreign language? <laughs> <But> something that's not <laughs> English. Yeah. Who cares, right? You know, if it's not English. We don't want to hear about it. I don't mean. I don't mean that. I love foreign films. <laughs> I would be very happy for Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross to win an Oscar. They've had a great year. And- their music, what they've done this year with their scores is phenomenal. I mean, it's Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a hardcore, hardcore uh, Alexandra Desplat, Midnight Sky I know, I'm fan. rooting for him yeah. too. He may, he may come around when it comes to televised shows. That's usually what happens. 
All right. Well, we need to get to uh, your interview with uh, Stephen Yun, who I used to talk to all the time back in the Walking Dead days. But I guess like now, now he's one of you. Now, now he's gone over to the film <laughs> side. So fine. It's fine. Whatever, Stephen. He told me I, I did Walking Dead interviews with Mike Schneider and I really just wanted to stop that. Yeah, so, he, I, he was, I, so I had to become a movie star <laughs> to get away from Michael Schneider. Yeah. Uh, but, but besides Stephen uh, Yun, we also have, just celebrating Asian cinema, Kathy uh, Ang and Philip Sue for Over the Moon also. Yeah. It's just, it's a, we're celebrating Asian cinema this it's week. It's a great episode. So so stay tuned, everyone. Wait, go ahead. Oh, I, you, can, you can cut this out if you want, but this is just one of those mo- – this is the moment where I knew Stephen Yun was a star. It was like three weeks into Walking Dead and everybody from that show was – every publicist from that show who had an actor on it was pitching me. And I said, oh, you know, this was this was at a different magazine that we shall not name. And I was like, we're already doing something with a cast member. And the publicists were like, oh, can I ask who? And I was like, Stephen Yoon. And all the publicists said, he's so great, I wish he was my client. And that's when you know someone is phenomenal because they're not, you know, they're not trying to bag on them and sell you someone else. They're just like, damn, that guy's good. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Can I just say I'm obsessed with Alan, Alan Kim, oh the kid, the boy. Oh my gosh, he is like the cutest. Last year we had the Jojo Rabbit boys, and this year we have like, you know, he is. Alan Kim can eat the Jojo Rabbit boys lunch. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we adopt a kid once a year. Yeah, that's not creepy Alan at all. This year. <laughs> all right, enjoy the interviews. <laughs> It's Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Clayton Davis. Best known for his role as Glenn on The Walking Dead, Stephen Young left that series in 2016 after his character was brutally and controversially killed off in the season 7 opener. Since then, he's been seen on the big screen in films such as Joe Lynch's action horror Mayhem, Bong Joon-ho's Okja, and Boots Riley's dark comedy Sorry to Bother You. Now, he's a star and an executive producer in director Lee Isaac Chung's film Minari. Yun plays Jacob, part of a Korean-American family that moves to Arkansas to start a farm in the 1980s. Steven, look! They're wheels! Wheels? What a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. If you're here with us for the first time, please stand. What a beautiful family. Glad you're here. Minari premiered last year at the Sundance Film Festival and also stars Yuri Han, Alan S. Kim, Yu Jong Yoon, and Will Patton. I recently spoke to Yoon about Minari, and the best actor hopeful discusses the lens of American cinema and how it's perceived through the Asian experience, as well as starting out in the industry and watching artists like John Cho come up in that space. He even discusses one of his earliest auditions in which someone asked him to read in an Asian accent. We began by discussing how he first got involved with Minari. So I uh, was given the script, um, I think, like a couple months, what was it, in like October? October of 2018. Okay. And um, I, I read it and I was so blown away by the honesty, the truthfulness of the point of view. And, um, you know, I think, I think usually, um, 
things to do with at least I can only speak from the Asian American immigrant, like uh, Asian American minorities uh, uh, perspective. But usually when I read scripts, they're they're oftentimes like caught in the grasp of a gaze from either side, whether it's like the American majority white gaze of of needing to explain itself and its culture to to people or on the opposite end, which is like, you know, perform a deep Americana for, um, for, uh, kind of the motherland in some way. Uh, there's, it, it always seems to be that this identity here is kind of lost in the shuffle of two opposing sides. And, um, what was really great was to read a script that was so unequivocally specifically the immigrant Korean American experience of just, you know, a life that is, part of both but is really its own unique thing and um so when i read that it was it was it was really something that i wanted to do and um it went fast uh after i said i would be into doing it um it went from that point to we started filming within like five six months wow yeah it was was crazy How, how long how long was the shoot 20 like 28 days yeah 28 days later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Truly. Truly. Oh my God. So, um, so we get involved and you have, uh, uh, Yuri Han and, and YJ, uh, YJ, who's just like, my God, yeah. like, yeah, both so incredible. Like, like, did you officially just take her in your own family? And like, this is my mom. Now I'm just going to like take another <laughs> one on for the well, ride. She reminds me of my mom, which is kind of cool in a different way. I think, I think kind of speaking on those terms, like that's kind of the genius of Isaac and his direction and his writing and um, his casting. Um, He really assembled a family, a really like the, the, the energy from each of the actors, the perspective from each of the actors. I think the, um, the ability to communicate their point of view was really, really important to this. Cause I think, the family as the whole um, ends up being kind of the protagonist of the film. And so, um, yeah, I mean, like, you know, like I, like I was saying, like the Korean American experience, that immigrant experience starting from David up until, up into uh, Sunja is such a spectrum of like what it means to be caught between those two worlds. Um, And I thought he found such a good concoction of that to have, you know, Jacob, someone that deeply wants to break free from what he n- knew prior uh, of the confines that he found himself in from, 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 you know, his home country or even more from California, even just wanting to assert himself. Um, and then uh, Monica, who might want to hold on to uh, something of the past of something that reminds her of home because she's often isolated. And then all the way to uh, Sunja, who is from Korea and she represents Korea. And then on the other end of the spectrum is David and Noel, who are like so rooted in America. And I think like that picture of like the spectrum of those characters is really what makes, you know, this family so distinctly Asian American, Korean American, um, that th- this is its own point of view and its own journey. Um, and that's really what we focused on. Um, the- Looking uh, internally and personally with yourself, uh, you know, for people who don't know, because we only 
know what's right in front of us. Uh, you were born in South Korea. Uh, yeah. How how old were you when you moved to, to the U.S.? Uh, I was five. Five. Have you have you been back? Uh, did Did you ever go back and forth, or have you been back since? Um, well, I, I went back to work there a couple times more recently. Um, but uh, yeah, I would go back, you know, regularly up until about eighth grade, and then I stopped going. Were you, were, you, were, you, were you one of those summer shipaways kids? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> you know, it's it was so expensive to go back that my yeah. parents and I weren't able to go as often. I think when we first immigrated here, we probably ended up going back to Korea back and forth. Um, my dad had to go back um, for, you know, funerals and things like that and family things. But uh, we went back as a family, maybe like a handful of times, two or three times Okay, from five to, you know, eighth grade age, which I don't remember. Uh, and then um, and then there was a big gap where I just kind of really didn't go back to Korea for a while. And um, uh, and then I went back. Finally, my sophomore year of college i think and that was the first time i'd gone since eighth grade and that from that point on i kind of went more regular and uh yeah it's been a very interesting journey um reconnecting with the place that i was born from yeah um do you remember leaving like can you recall that uh yeah you recall that <laughs> i just i just remember five years i i don't i barely remember yesterday totally. you, could, you could tell me yesterday was february i would believe you but, uh, <laughs> um, well i think it's I think it's like, you know, I have my own son and I'm looking at my son and he's only three and a half. And, you know, there will be memories, I'm sure, that I lost in the shuffle or recontextualized, you know, for myself mm-hmm. over time with stories. But yeah. when I look at my son, I'm just like, man, he knows. And if we were to like uproot and just like move to a completely different place, he would know yeah. and he would feel it. And I've been recently, because of this film, I think because of 2020, because I'm at this age, because I'm have my kid, so many things in my life have reflected me back to my childhood and revisiting that has been, uh, all the feelings. I think, um, you know, I'm connecting to maybe some of the things that make me, me, mm-hmm. you know, I have a photo of myself when I was, it was the first couple months that I was in my kindergarten classroom and I looked terrified and, and the story that uh, my parents told me was that I would, it would drag me kicking and screaming into class, like really? every day for probably the first couple of weeks until I just kind of like normalized to it. And they just set me down with Play-Doh and like put me in a corner so that I, you know, I just calmed down, but I didn't know how to speak Korean or English. My first English words were, I asked in Korean to my dad, I was like, Appa, what does don't cry mean? You know? Yeah. 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 And so so it's like that isolation, that feeling of just like kind of being like fish out of water, like placed from a plate. And and then you look back at like other photos from when I was still in Korea going to preschool and it's so much, I'm so joyful. Like I have no understanding of like, (laughs) like what's about to happen. Um, For for a minute, I thought you were going to be like, you were going to ask your dad in Korean, like what's fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Like what? Yeah. (laughs) truly truly it it, it was like that but like it was it was uh, yeah i I think yeah i think i think the security of family Mm -hmm. in a traditional sense was not taken away from me but was just shifted and altered and um i think the sadness at least for me i don't know if it's all immigrants but partly is like you're just you know the immigrant experience 
requires the sacrifice in some ways of being severed from your parents a little bit, right? Like they got to grind and they got to make it and you got to just fend for yourself too at the same level at an early age. So, um, yeah, I think that, you know, that's, that's a common, I think, immigrant tale. Can I, can I ask you something from a, from a cultural perspective? Cause I, I've kind of felt this in, in, in some, in some way, um, my mom, my mom came from Puerto Rico here and, mm. and she didn't know any English when she came here. And then she, the kid, all her kids, me included, mm-hmm. we don't really know Spanish very well mm-hmm. or, or at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, and, and she remember her telling me once about the, like the sacrifice of language, because yeah. when you don't know English, like you try so hard to like get that right and you don't want your kids to ever suffer through that. I, I, did you, has that like filtered down, I guess, to, to, to your son now? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's, it's interesting. I think we're battling now, you know, my wife and I are talking about like, you know, obviously when we want to keep um, the tradition of Korean alive in our family and in, in Jude, but also at the same time, we recognize that the world is not going to look anything close to the world that we grew up in. And um, the preservation of culture is very important, but also like, you know, where is our, our, where are our kids going to feel rooted? You know, are they going to be straddling the line between Korea and America or is their reality moving forward? Just going to be something completely different. I have no clue. So um, we're just kind of taking it, you know, piece by piece and like seeing, we're just giving him all of it. And like at this point, kind of seeing what he chooses and gravitates towards and um, making sure that he has, um, you know, an understanding of what's happening. His grandparents speak Korean to him. So that's good. That was my wife too. My wife said like her, like her grand, she knows Spanish because of her grandparents. Cause that's yeah. all they spoke to Truly, her. Truly. Yeah. And, yeah. and that is, that's just such a beauty of that of that gap of generation meeting together. And I think that's personified in Minari, you know, that, yeah. that understanding between those disparate generations. Um, but I think for our family, it was different because my parents actually didn't try extra hard to learn English. You know, they, they learned survival English and, and they tried hard. Uh, mm-hmm. my, I remember my dad studying English when he first got here, just like really? textbooks and all that stuff. But then like, after a while, you know, you're just kind of like, living and you're just kind of surviving and my parents own a small business a beauty supply in downtown detroit and um they still do and um you know he 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 kind of just like was able to communicate with his local community and and then he was able to drop back into his korean church where he felt a little bit more secure and able to be himself or speak freely of what he knows and um i think that balance was interesting be in the middle of myself too how, how, how does that feel i guess for for them you know you're now one of hollywood's most gifted actors you know you know yeah and uh and you know you know they're still they're still you know they're they're of of the people you know they're still you know on, yeah. on, on a store how how's that uh you know kind of those two worlds i think you know where I'm very lucky with that is um, it keeps me incredibly grounded. I hope Mm. Um, I think, you know, my wife is Korean. Um, She comes from a similar type of immigrant family. And I think there's just a realness to it where like, you can't ignore how you grew up and what I've seen. And um, 
you know, what I've touched and what I've experienced. I mean, I watched my parents, you know, come from a tiny, tiny, small, like house behind our uncle's store. Um, you know, like barely, my dad was like stocking shelves, uh, to building their own business and then like making enough to live in, you know, a quiet suburb, um, and for them to afford uh, a college education for their kids. And then for me to um, be in this position, like, I feel so fortunate. I mean, this is like the most um, immigrant dream for their son to be able to have the freedom to pursue something in the arts, you know, and let alone succeed um, to any capacity. So I'm eternally grateful, but yeah, I'm, I'm very, it's been very interesting to, have seen the spectrum of that life and to have grown up within it. Um, and, um, yeah, I think, I mean, I hope that informs my work. You gave me a great segue to my, my next question for you. Uh, the roles of, uh, Asian American Asians period in Mm -hmm. Hollywood, uh, are not plentiful. Mm. Um, not by a long shot. Even yeah. and I'm the and I'm the film awards editor at, at Variety here. Uh, <laughs> if 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 you know if you know stars align, God is great. Uh, you become the first Asian American ever nominated for a Best Actor in 93 mm. years, and there's mm. been quite a like you know like I said we haven't had a lot, but there have been a lot of worthies in this time. Um, can you talk about I guess. You, you know, you talked about the grind before the grind of getting into this space that you yeah. could be an actor. Yeah. I mean, truly it's, it, it really does start from just like basic, simple representation, like just clear out representation mm-hmm. is the, is the initial basis of just being able to see a vision of yourself um, in a space um, at all. I think that opens a door and qualifies it for the system. It qualifies it for your parents. It qualifies it for yourself. I think, um, you know, when I was in college and, um, you know, I wasn't thinking I was going to pursue acting. I was just kind of doing all the things. I took the LSAT, the MCAT, Teach for America. Like I just pushed all the buttons to be like, yeah. I don't know what to do. You're on um, an elevator just like throwing it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just like spraying across the board. Um, but I was always kind of drawn to, you know, acting and performance. And, um, I think at the time I'd seen John Cho kind Mm. of popping off and, um, it was really cool to watch him. Um, he hadn't gotten the shine that he deserved at the time. Uh, and it took a little bit for him over time, but like I watched him and I was like, wow, here, here goes a Korean American actor that I've never seen before. And he's on the screen and doing the thing. And like, it's pretty incredible. And so I, I, I thought it was possible for me. I was like, you know what, if he's out there and, you know, I cut my teeth in Chicago and like, just try, who knows? Like, maybe there is a space for me. Um, let's see was, what happens. Was he the first one, like the first person that you saw yourself like on? Spring? I think so. I think because he touched comedy first. Yeah. Um, and American that's kind of where I started. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, he touched like, he was he was he was kind of the first one too to not be uh at that time objectified and kind of fetishized mm-hmm. in that way. He was yeah. kind of like a new version of what an Asian man 
is or seen as at the time. Yeah. Uh, and then we're constantly breaking those barriers of just like expanding all of us. But um, he was something new and fresh and uh, he's great. And so to be able to have seen him um, kind of just at least gave me like a roadmap to maybe not emulating his career, but being like, Hey, like the door, there's doors that are possible. So um, I tried and then, you know, year after year, it just kind of compounded on itself. And then the work begot more work and then experience begot more experience. And um, I find myself here and it's very bizarre to be quite <laughs> honest with you. Uh, what kind of, and I may be uh, hitting sore spots, but what are some roles yeah. that you were auditioning for early on? Like mm. what were you getting? Well, the first audition I ever had in Chicago was this thing called Awesome 80s Prom, which is like, um, I don't know if people know, but it's like a Tony and Tina's wedding, like a live improvised show where okay. it's an immersion show. So, you know, pe- guests come and they're in a simulated 80s prom and people have to kind of improve, like these actors show up and improvise like the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And you have your whole J- John Hughes spectrum of characters you know you have your ferris buellers and all those things and then you have your long duck dongs and um i auditioned with an it's an 80s monologue and uh, i auditioned with ferris bueller's opening monologue and they're like that was good um can you do that all again in a asian accent and you know at the time i'll be honest with you like yeah i mean i knew that i didn't want to do that so i kind of rejected it but you know, the system had no clue that that's not what I wanted. (laughs) No idea. And so, you know, we were just in a different time. And so um, I remember my only response to that was I just did a kind of shitty accent and I phoned it in and then I left and then they still wanted me anyway, because that's how far and few between Asian actors were. Um, And so um, they called and they said, we'd like to hire you. And I actually said no. And they got really mad. I remember um, and I was like, oh, that's not a good first step in this business. I, yeah. uh, I pissed somebody off. But I mean, look at you today. They don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> they, they have no idea. Oh, my God. Um, talk, talk about some fun stuff. So, like, you know, a little bit through your career, you know, you get, I, I guess, mainstream, we're going to call it mainstream audiences, get to discover you in The Walking Dead. Um, and then witness your terrible murder, by the way. Mm. It's just terrible, awful murder. <laughs> just awful. It's the worst. <laughs> um, and then and then, you know, then you get into burning. Um, dude, and, and another great performance from you. And I feel like Thank you. you know, when it comes into uh th- these things, like especially for TV actors, and like I don't like labeling people as that, but like, you know. We we wait to see if they can transcend that, and like right away you were out the gate and you were like, "Burning, here you go. I can uh, do all. I can do a lot in this space." What 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 do you what do you want to do? What 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 are some opportunities that you would really love to see for yourself or any uh, Asian uh, actor or actress in this? Yeah, um, I don't know if I could pinpoint it to one thing. I think it's more like, I think the realization is more focus for me at least on how much I couldn't see this for myself. Um, how much each role, how fortunate, fortunate that I am that each role expanded me as I was in them, you know, as I was 
engaging with the project, I was being expanded and I was being challenged and I was um, growing um, because, you know, prior to Lee Chung Dong offering me burning, like I was like, I don't deserve to be in a director Lee movie. Um, and, you know, that's kind of my own, you know, ego and the devil on my shoulder talking to me. But at the same time, like, I think, I think, you know, from my point of view, and I can only speak for myself, but I had, as a defense mechanism, I had spent a lot of time understanding the system at large and understanding the world that I was inhabiting and how to survive within it. And so um, I was creating all these rules and, and, and uh, ones and zeros to be like, this is what is allowed in my, in my, in my world in front of me. And that kept me safe. I think it kept me weaving in and out of certain things and avoiding, you know, potential harm or feeling bad or whatever it was. But um, in the end, you know, the the danger of that is that it trapped even my mind in Mm. um, knowing what I could do or could be um, that I wasn't thinking of myself in a fuller capacity, but instead constantly just trying to like, survive within the framework of the system as is and so um you know as i'm growing and as i'm learning and you know as i'm having my own children i'm 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 deeply aware of that push and pull of balance of like understanding the world that we inhabit but also like learning how to break through it um personally for myself just so i can challenge myself and um yeah i mean I'm again, like, <laughs> it's so lucky that uh, yeah. I got to do burning because that was a transformative experience for me um, yeah. to work with such an incredible director and um, such an incredible character. What a crazy character to be able to play yeah. as a Korean American kid. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a couple of fun questions. Uh, what's, what's Stephen Young's favorite comedy of all time? Oh man, my favorite comedy of all time. Uh, I would say I could watch Office Space over and over and over. <laughs> yeah, that's on. Re- I could be on repeat, and I could watch that just in the background all day. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't call this a comedy, but Sandlot is a yes, very, yeah. yeah, that's like one of the greatest movies for me. Hit me at that magic window. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good. Uh, favorite uh, horror movie of all time. I don't like horror movies, um, but really, like, yeah, I don't, I don't. <laughs> um, but so I, so I, I guess say, you didn't. So I guess you didn't watch your episode then. Your final. Uh, th- I mean, I did, but that was a different type of horror. That was uh, the ending of you know financial security. Uh, no, but uh, it was no, it was that was something different. Uh, <laughs> but um, I would say my favorite horror movie is probably. And it's not because I like it. It's because it's like, it has a piece of, it's embedded into my code now in yeah. part of my life. I have recurring nightmares about this for most of my life. It's a night, a, a, a nightmare on Elm street that, that messed me up pretty bad. So I guess you, so I guess you can't meet Robert England at any point. <laughs> Actually I've met Robert England and that guy is in, incredibly so kind and gracious <laughs> and such a, cinephile and he's amazing uh but yeah like i see you're saying this because you just want to make sure <laughs> yes don't haunt me in my dreams Robert. Yeah. Uh, 
no, but he he's so incredibly kind. I actually didn't ask him, nor did I put together those thoughts. I should have told him. I was like, you are in a recurring dream of mine. Yeah. Um, but if he listens to this um, or yeah. finds out about this, uh, I, you are I cannot in a wait for dream. you to get cast in the movie. I'm sure it's going to happen. <laughs> this is the beginning of it right now. I'm putting it oh, together. Uh, what's what who what's a director you're dying to work with that you would love to, if they called oh, you tomorrow? Man. You're in today. Um, you know, Christopher Nolan is incredible. Um, Denis Villeneuve is incredible. Um, I, I don't know. There's just so many. I, uh, Chanuk would be incredible. Um, Wong Kar Wai would be incredible. There's just, there's so many, um, I don't know. I, 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 I've been thinking about this question because is there one person? Because that is sometimes the question that you get asked in the industry is like, who do you want to work with? Like, maybe we could talk to them. And it's like, all the people that I want to work with are the people that, you know, if they have a space for me, it'll kind of appear like they don't, they don't, I don't think they work that way. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like, they're working on whatever they're working on and like, whoever fits the bill, like fits the bill. So, um, I just pray that, you know, that would be, that would be awesome. Cool. Last question for you again, film awards editor hat on. Uh, I already told you about your stat if you're nominated, but we also just have a great uh, year for Asian representation because we have Chloe Zhao that mm. very well might get nominated. Uh, yeah. y- YJ and Yuri are definitely in in the running themselves. Yeah. Um, it could it could you know at, right after Parasite last year, which was yeah the greatest thing that's happened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. How excited are you for the future of of Hollywood embracing more of this, uh, of of just your culture, your everything that that is great about Asian cinema? Yeah, I mean, I think well, I think this is like a multifaceted answer to this question because, um, you know, for me, uh, I think on a on a on a surface level. Uh, what's great about a wide net of Asian representation, especially coming from Asia and, you know, harnessing the power of Asia um, through master works like Parasite or, you know, um, masterful directors that come from all over that are kind of their own auteurs that transcend even the boundaries of their own nations. Um, that is really great because like, like we said, like representation at its base is very important of just being able to like expand in society to each other, like what someone can look like and what they can do, which is we can all look like anything and do all anything. Right. Um, and we're coming to understand that, but then I think, you know, what, what sometimes gets difficult is the immigrant life is really, and, and this is kind of the focus for us on Minari was just, we, it really is its own intrinsic nuanced experience. Um, you know, I think we would qualify it before of saying that it's caught between two worlds. And it is because those two worlds are the only ways in which we know how to speak about it. Um, it's either Asian or American. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the real key aspect for me, at least for Minari, is we really tried to tell the honesty and truth of the point of view of like just that culture of being asian american of just being of another culture but completely raised in another one and i think that's to me at least to me what allows a lot of access for 
the viewer for our film, I hope, is mm -hmm. that um, because we got so granular and um, honest to our singular experience of kind of being caught in between these two worlds and our own unique thing, I think it allowed a humanity to break through because we weren't burdened by the idea that we needed to make something super authentic to the culture. Um, because, you know, I think a Korean audience from Korea, Korea will watch this film and say, that is the story of an American family. Yeah. And I think an American audience will watch this movie and go, that's the story of a Korean family. And mm. that's the void that we're caught in, right? And yeah. so for us, we really wanted to profess that this is an Asian American story where um, it is American, but we just don't have that space of understanding carved out in society yet of like what an Asian American story feels and sounds like. Mm. Um, and that's kind of really what we wanted to put out there was, um, you know, like this representation at large of Asian faces and, and um, our humanity is great. I think that's what Parasite, and I think that's what Chloe Zhao is able to capture too, which is like speak from her experience as, you know, a native of her home country um, in a free human way, because they're not burdened by the American race dynamics, right? Like when director Bong wakes up in Korea, he's not like, I'm Korean. He's like, <laughs> I'm just a human being and I'm yeah. going to go eat something now. Yeah. Um, but here, you know, like I wake up and I say, I'm a human being and I'm going to go eat something now. But then when I step outside my door, sometimes I'm reminded that I'm also a delineated version of an American, which is I'm a Korean American or Asian American. And sometimes, you know, constantly living in that place doesn't allow you to see yourself whole and true. Um, sometimes you're busy just straddling the line or like jumping to each side at any given point to just feel comfortable. But um, I really wanted to be a part of, and I think Isaac as well, like when we discussed it, like of carving out a space and a narrative that is uniquely ours, that is uniquely Asian American, that is uniquely specifically Korean American. And in doing so, I think it really opens a door for people to see themselves in us, in our characters, because we don't have the barrier of, you know, this is a separate culture, so you wouldn't understand. It's more just saying like, hey, look, like this is a father, this is a mother, this is a family and they're just trying hard and you can relate to that. There's a little bit of difference within it, like how it manifests, but like, it's all the basic same. And, um, you know, that was, that was, we didn't want to romanticize it, uh, at all. Uh, we really wanted to tell it honestly. And I think that was our, our goal. And I, hopefully that, that conveyed. I could listen to you all day, man. <laughs> Very profound. Thanks, man. Uh, did you adopt Alan S. Kim, by the way? Does he live with you now? Yeah, yeah he lives here. He's, he's actually right. over there. He's taking a nap. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the cutest kid ever. Like, he's just amazing, so talented kid. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, the, the casting that Isaac put together was really incredible. The first time I met Isaac, or I met Alan in... Uh, we had like we met like two kids finally at the end and i and i auditioned uh, i read with them and we read some of the lines and uh you know they went well but where um where he really kind of like took that role was uh i left the room and i came back uh in as jacob and i um just started improvising and just like 
playing his dad and I was just talking to him with a more serious tone and he dropped right in. Like he was surrounded by people watching him, but he just dropped right in and I was talking to him and he was just like, he kind of just like, he just was truthful to that moment. And he like went in right with me. And um, that's when I think we all knew, I was like, wow, this kid is so present. He's so pure. Um, and he's so talented. Um, and then by the end of the, end of the shoot like he was so like experienced he was like oh like what what are you, how's the camera looking like he was like using <laughs> his fingers like this <laughs> yeah. give, me, give me more give me more Steven. yeah yeah, yeah. He was like, is this my is this my close-up like yeah. uh, cool, cool. could you get no, close he, can you get tighter he, to frame <laughs> by the way i mean you could throw this out uh if he gets nominated he makes history he becomes the second youngest nominee ever in all acting history if he God gets bless it. alan kim yeah, God bless Alan Kim. Well, we we can't let it. We can't let him just take over everything. <laughs> <laughs> he'll do it. He'll do it on his own. Yeah, he, that guy's a genius. Uh, but Stephen, thank you so much for taking this time with me. I'm I'm a huge fan of yours, and you thank you you've done some great stuff, man. And I'm really excited for this year ahead for you because it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. I appreciate that. Thank you yeah, so much. Say, give my best to your family. Help everyone yeah. safe. And get some sleep from the kid, man. Three and a half. Oh my god. Yo. Facts. <laughs> <laughs> Me Not E is scheduled to be released theatrically on February 12th by A24. After the break, Philippa Sue and Kathy Ong, two of the voices behind Netflix's animated feature, Over the Moon. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Neon and Hulu, presenting Palm Springs. Today, tomorrow, and yesterday are all the same for Niles, played by Andy Samberg, who is stuck in a time loop at a wedding in Palm Springs. But when the bride's sister, played by Kristen Milioti, gets stuck as well, she helps him realize that carrying the weight of existence might just be a little better together. Palm Springs, for your consideration in Best Picture and all other categories. It's Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Clayton Davis. Netflix's Over the Moon is a musical adventure about a young Chinese girl named Fei-Fei, played by Kathy Yang, who built her own rocket ship to travel to the moon in order to prove the existence of the legendary moon goddess Chang'e, voiced by Philippa Su. I talked to the Tony-nominated Su about her career, including having four films released in the same year, with the Disney Plus hit Hamilton being one of them. For newcomer Ang, she discussed this as a possible dream come true, and how she brought Fei-Fei to life. I began by asking Sue what this busy time has been like for her. I can't help but just be grateful, truly, for all of the amazing things that have happened this year, um, just in terms of my career. And, you know, I, I had four films that I've been working on for the past, like, four years come out all at the same time. And so, um, and at the same time, I mean, like, you know, over the past, like, six months. So, um yeah, like it, it makes me realize just how fortunate I have been and how fortunate I am right now and how proud I am of the things that I've been working on. I feel like, you know, in their own way, all the things that I've been working on have sort of given um, me a sense of feeling like I've really created something that maybe can like help people during this time, whether that's, um, you know, helping a young Asian girl recognize herself on screen for the first time or giving somebody a laugh 
or helping somebody grapple with what it means to be an American or um, giving families a chance to come together and, you know, see a, a beautiful film about the environment and what we're doing to the animals and the planet that live on it, uh, the planet and the animals that live on it. So, um, yeah, I feel very proud. And, and, you know, I think that if anything, um, at a time when there's the most turmoil, I think the arts can be the most healing because it can bring people together. It can give people perspective. It can train us how to have empathy. So, you know, like I said, all things considered pretty great, you know? And, and, and just for the record, for, for the listeners, that those four films are Hamilton, The One and Only Ivan, The Broken Hearts Gallery, and now Over the Moon. So, yeah. And you said, how, how, and you've been filming them over the last four years? Yeah, so Hamilton, we... Obviously, we, yeah. But. Yeah, we shot at the end of my... And that was in 2016. And then, um, yeah, I've been, I've been working on Over the Moon after that. And then um, One and Only Ivan came along. And then I shot Broken Hearts Gallery last summer. So, you know, it's been a busy, what a, busy four years. What a year. All right. Uh, Kathy? Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, I think at first I was very kind of reluctant to to want to like publicly celebrate, you know, um, because I felt like, yeah, I definitely have that twinge of survivor's guilt, but it, it's mostly gratefulness. Like the opportunities that I've been given also to make art that I think is important that people are craving right now. Um, yeah, I think one of the best experiences that I've had during quarantine is like meeting up with a group of theater actors to make socially distanced but sight and but immersive theater still and like figuring out a way like how to connect to people which and it's the same with this movie which is again how can we connect to the most people in the world um right now and so I think in that way it feels just, I, I am so grateful that I have these opportunities. Um, and now I think just, you know, focusing on that and when, you know, as we've gotten closer to the movie, feeling my family celebrate and my friends from back home celebrate has allowed me, I think, to be like, oh yeah, I, I remember what this feeling is of, of what it means like when you get to share art. And it's actually, it's always a celebration Um you know, I don't, I don't feel so guilty right now. I feel like, wow, this is, this is an honor. And just focusing on that is very helpful. And it also kind of just, you know, it reminds me to hold myself to a higher standard. Like you have to make art that people want right now because they need it. And so people deserve high caliber art. And and I'm glad that I feel like I can give it to them in some way, or at least try. <laughs> yeah. Um, I we we we've all three of us have spoken before, and I kind of like mini trademark uh, term that th- this is the first Netflix princess to like kind of <laughs> hit hit the screens, right? And I'm, I'm gonna run with that until until like people say stop. But um, <laughs> but but in a lot of ways it is. I mean, it is like the, the you know the first figure on screen that right before Halloween, thank God it's like too close to Halloween that people like probably costumes are already picked out already. Cause I think <laughs> kids w- won't be as in demand as, as they would be normally, but 
you know, it's 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 going to mean a lot to so many little girls and and boys out there that are gonna be watching it and then say like, oh, I want to be Fei Fei. I want to, you know, what uh, you know, I want to want to dress like her. I want to be her when I grow. Like, what does that part kind of symbolize for you? Yeah, I mean, I think like I know that growing up, this is everything that I wanted to see in a character in my like Disney canon, mm-hmm. and so. I don't know. I mean, that part is a little nerve wracking, honestly, because I, I just I, I really hope that the world loves it. As we get closer, of course, I get just a little bit more nervous. But again, it's an honor. And I feel like she Feifei, I just love Feifei because she's so passionate and she's so determined and she has just this immense creativity and love. And so like you know what? She's a great first Netflix princess. I'm just going to put it out there. Um, like you, Cause I, I mean, everyone is always looking to art to inspire them. And so I think if you have a character like this, it's that happens. We're going to succeed at that. And so I don't know, I'm excited and nervous all at the same time. <laughs> I love that we've like reclaimed the word princess because yeah. like, I feel like, you know, that comes from like a long line of stories of like, you know, woman waiting up in the tower, waiting for her knight in shining armor to come along and rescue her. And I feel like over the years, Disney has redefined it. And now this beautiful film has been redefined that like princess now means like inspiring young leader who is you know, going through a journey and a big change in her life. And she's, she's conquering a challenge that, mm-hmm. that is before her, whatever that may be. Yeah. I just love how it's shifted over the years. Like, I, I don't like, you know, I kind of love it. Like some people were like, so does that mean that like, now that you guys are on Disney plus that Eliza, the Skylar sisters are princesses? Like, well, that's kind of the opposite of what they were going <laughs> back in when <laughs> formed but I hear you in terms of that like really inspiring young female figure yeah. that you know living out their dreams and and pursuing you know what they want yeah and just it's someone to look up to it's a leader for and it doesn't like she obviously doesn't like rule a land or even rule a community in any or you know she doesn't uh, uh, assume that figure for the whole community, but she kind of does for her family in a lot of ways in this movie. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's an interesting mantle that she took up here too. Cool. Uh, I am the film awards editor here. So I have to ask this because I, we don't get a lot of opportunities to really ask people about this particular problem, but uh, just recently the Academy announced new diversity and inclusion standards. Right. And I and I always let everyone know, like I'm, I'm half Latino, I'm half black. Uh, black representation in the Academy is disgusting uh, in terms of like how many films and how many people actually make the lineups. Latinx is worse than that. Asian is the bottom of the pole, the worst of them all. And I don't, we don't get a lot of opportunities to really ask uh, other. Asian artists in this space about that. And just to give some context for uh, our listeners, only two actors of Asian descent have ever won Best Actor out of three nominations in 92 years. 
no no Asian woman has ever won Best Actress. Only been one nomination, which was uh, Merle Oberon in 1935. Supporting actor what? had supporting actor has had seven in the 92 years. One winner, Hang Us Nor, The Killing Fields, 1984. And supporting actress has had five nominations with one win, Miyoshi Yumeki in 1957 for Sayonara. That's 92 years. And last year, obviously, we had Parasite win the top prize, which is very happy and we can champion this, but we still have a big, big problem. What do you both, and I'll start with you, Philippa, what do you want to see happen in the industry for Asian talents in front and behind the camera? Well, I'm really glad that the Academy is trying to systemically address the issue. Um, but I also think there's a, there's a big cultural uh, shift that needs to happen. And that really relies on the individual. Um, you know, if you're in a position of power in any way, even if you're just hiring one person who works under you and you work under like a hundred people, you have an obligation to reach out maybe to a person who has not had an opportunity in that field and create a diverse space. And, um, you know, in terms of uh, in, in front of the camera, um, we're seeing more and more stories of uh, Asian stories, Asian American stories, which is fabulous. Let's keep seeing more, like bring them on. And I think that goes with, you know, that's because there are people who are trying to make that happen. There are producers, there are investors that are investing in these stories. So, you know, I think that it's important to remember that, um, you know, when you have an opportunity to include somebody that has not been included, you got to take it. You can't rely on systemic changes from big um, organizations to do it. It really relies also on the individual. And I think more than that, it's just about having conversations. Like, how do I do that? Well, you know, ask questions, <laughs> reach out to your BIPOC friends. Yeah. to BIPOC people who are not your friends. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not their job to educate you, but certainly you shouldn't be afraid to gather information and educate yourself. So. Good answer. Kathy? Yeah, I mean, um, I think, I think we all, I, I, I've been blessed on this project and especially to just be around producers who have been kind of making space uh, all their careers for, for people like me. And their whole thing has always just been paying it forward. And I think right now we're also seeing, at least in theater, um, we're seeing a shift of like, you know, kind of straying away from the traditional hierarchy that we, that we're used to and, and really trying to make a more equitable space. And so even as a performer, I feel like I now have a little bit more, I'm ready to ask for things, ask for like, Hey, if I come do this project, can I actually also invite these specific BIPOC producers, you know, even as an actor? So I think um, knowing that I that I have uh, that power, because it just doesn't hurt to ask, like Philippa said, you know, like you can just always ask. Um, and we'll see what, how, what goes from there. And like, 
you know, we, we're seeing also in the last couple of years, really, people rallying around these projects that feature a lot of, I don't know, just feature feature stories and people that we just have not heard from before to make sure that they are, you know, financially successful and viable to prove that like, oh yeah, there's a market here. And so, you know, I think these things are just going to keep happening because we're paying for them. And, um, this, this film in particular, like we're, we're, we managed to get some amazing stars on who like inspired me at least to pursue acting. And so I think that it'll inspire a whole nother generation of, of Asian actors and actresses to create art and make sure that their stories are told. So, yeah, we'll see. I mean, you know, it could, we, I feel like quarantine is making people is forcing people to exercise their creativity for sure. And, um, we're also at the same time reckoning with this, with this cultural shift, um, which I'm hoping, you know, those two can meld together and, and create a really interesting art landscape for us soon. Yeah. I've, I've been saying that the, the quarantine is going to force people to mature their cinematic palettes. They're going to start watching what <laughs> they've never seen before and be like, Oh wait. And I also find, I was like, it's, it's both annoying and, and like, I guess a little bit uh, inspiring every time I hear like some Hollywood executive or someone like get surprised by like, Oh my God, Asians go to the movies, like crazy rich Asians made that much money. Like, and you're like, yeah, it's bananas. There's like a lot more money to be made too. If you just give people the avenue to do so. Um, so yeah. All right. Uh, this is the fun part of the interview, right? Yeah, this, obviously it was fun before this, but I like to ask about movies now because we want to know, because we want to inspire the next wave of uh, young artists out there to come up, but we want to know how you guys uh, got started and what inspired you. Now, Philippa, I just I, I set you up for this question, okay? It's okay that it, the answer isn't Hamilton, okay? It's okay that it's not Hamilton. Now, for both of you, your favorite musical ever. Ooh. <laughs> I wish everyone could see right now. <laughs> like, well, well, just the, the, the turning. I love, love Floyd Collins. Mm. Um, musical, but it is among the musical theater crowd. Brilliant. It's written by Adam Gettle. If you don't know the story, it's about a man who gets trapped in a cave. And the whole story revolves around his community and fam family trying to rescue him. But it, it also is with his own journey being trapped. And um, it's the most beautiful music that I've ever heard. It's so gorgeous. Yeah. I think it's Philip coming out with the, something from the left. You didn't know what she's going to come out with. I thought she was going to say Hamilton, my musical. It's just the best thing ever. Not Hamilton. I, I know, I know. No, that was a great answer. Though. Should I say Hamilton? Yeah, <laughs> just to make sure. Hamilton. It's okay if you say Hamilton, Gabby. Um, I, I think, uh, uh, I think my favorite musical is Fun Home. Mm. I think um, I got to see it in Circle in the Square like four different times, and and so. I just, I don't know. There's something about that, that story. I also like read the graphic novel before the musical came out. Um, yeah, I just like Alison Bechdel. And so like 
I don't know, seeing it brought to life in that way was so surprising, first mm. of all. Um, and I just, I don't know, it, it hit with me. Uh, all of these characters really, really resonated in my heart. And I think uh, just being able to actually be there live and see it from so many different angles, um, I think I kind of realized a little bit more about, you know, what's going behind the scenes in theater as well. Like I think pre-Fun Home, I was very focused on like performances, but also just the way that it, that space was designed so that the audience could see from all four, like, you know, it's in the round and also like the lighting design, making sure that, I don't know, I, I, I this is going to sound bad, but I think I just realized like theater is so collaborative and, it, you know, I, I, I think it made me very excited. Cool. <sighs> I, I'm glad you guys gave both those answers. So the next question is, what's your favorite movie musical? Oof. I'm glad you guys didn't cheat early. It's good. <laughs> I feel like, gosh. Cats, just kidding. <laughs> uh, Controversial. <laughs> like, I'm going to go way back into like, you know, my childhood right now, but I loved Mary Poppins. I loved that movie. It's an acceptable answer. It's good. <laughs> Gabby? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of problems with it, but I think West Side Story, like, I... It's fine. Yeah. It's okay to say. It's okay to say. I'm not mad at you. You can say West Side Story. It's, it's okay. It's so... Uh, the music is gorgeous. The, the, the it's really what just, I can't, I can't. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Ah! Yep. <laughs> can't wait for it. Yep. Yeah. And Ariana DeBose doing it next year. It's going to be great. Uh, favorite Disney uh, film growing up? Mulan. <laughs> Typical. But yeah. the, that <laughs> music is also, that, that musical. <laughs> gets stuck in your head um and of course it's like it's Leia Salonga so I automatically just you know I I was already starstruck um I feel like I watched The Lion King the most yeah that's mine fellow but see I knew I knew knew it I knew it there (laughs) the person's dead but if you could have a date with any classic film star who would you have a date with they have to be dead though Oh, Rita Hayworth. What was yours? Rita Hayworth. I. That's that's, that's a good one. That's a great one. Yeah, I mean, I'm just. It would be a hard conversation, but I'd love to (laughs) talk to her about life. That might be that, torture that for might her, though, top, so maybe that might not. The, that might top the best answer I ever heard before this, which was I asked Mary J. Blige the same thing, and she said Paul Newman. And I was like, Paul, I was like, which Paul Newman? I was like, the, the hustler Paul Newman. She was like, nope, cat on a hot tin roof, uh, tin roof, Paul Newman. She was like, oh, she was like, he wouldn't make it out of the restaurant. <laughs> like, I was like, okay. Let's talk about this. <laughs> best answer ever. But Kathy took me to Hayworth. I, that's that's good. I feel like I'd want to hang out with Katherine Hepburn. Mm. Ask her for one of her Oscars, one of the four. Just please, yeah. can I have one. Please? Or, or I want to, I want to um, hang out with Orson Welles just to get an oh. idea of what he feels about. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? What era? Wait, what? What, what decade? 
Oh my god! Two different Orsons. That's true. <laughs> you have to. He was doing better, probably. Yeah. You have, to, you have to get a very particular type of uh, a a window. You know. What is your definitive horror movie? <gasps> oh gosh. Well, I just watched this last year, and it freaked me out. The witch. Oh my god! It was so scary. You don't. You don't want to play peekaboo with the baby anymore. No, not really. <laughs> good. Uh, no, it freaked me out. It was so. It was so good. I mean, I think part of the reason somebody told me that, and I don't know, maybe you know if this is true, Clayton, that like the the dialogue was taken from like you know journal entries and newspaper clipping. I didn't know that. Found from the time, so it's all like you know, kind of historical as well in terms of the imagery and the language. So. Oh, yeah, it is free. That is free. Hey, Kathy? Uh, I can't do horror. I'm like bad at like true horror. When I was like, when I was three and watching Sleeping Beauty, I got messed up. Sleeping Beauty scary. No, that is Maleficent is true. scary when you're young. She haunted me. Th- those li- those that green light and then her pricking is the I used to freak me out <sighs> when I was a kid. Yes, you're okay. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're on um, okay, good. But right. uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I feel like Rosemary's Baby. Mm. Thriller, yeah. thriller. Just that's like, scary. no, it's 100% hard. Horror, thriller, yeah. Yeah, 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 but I can't really watch it. Like, yeah. you know, I, I feel like half of the time in horror movies, I'm not watching. <laughs> okay. Um, <sighs> what if I could give you any role right now on Broadway to play? What role would you want to play? Doesn't have to even be on Broadway, I can bring it back for you. Ooh. I haven't seen it and I've just heard some of the music, but it looks. Can I say the F-bomb? Yes. It's fucking cool, which is Six, the musical. Oh, I, I, I heard about it. You, you read the music or the, you heard the music? I heard some of the music and I've seen like, you know, what everybody else has seen of like a glimpse of a preview. I have some friends that saw it when it was in London. But I mean, like just singing like that with like, you know, a huge group of women just feels like so fun. Gabby? Yeah. Um, uh, I think just because like this music sits in my body, the music from Hades Town. So like, mm. I, I yeah, like uh, I would want to play Eurydice. Um, I just love a folksy kind of bluegrass. Like th- yeah. I, I, that sits in my voice for some reason, even though I didn't grow up singing any of that. <laughs> um yeah, I love that score. Uh, Philippa, you know what my answer for you was? Uh, I, because I, I, I'm, I'm just kind of weird that way. And I was thinking like, oh, what would I want them to play? I wanted you to say Mimi from Rent. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's a good one. I feel like you would kill that, like, out some. I'm trying, I'm trying to think, like, when, when was, because um, before uh, Hamilton, how many shows were you in up until that point? Only one. Only one. I had I had um, done Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of eighteen. That was my first job in New York. 
And then okay. he just walked into Hamilton. Look at you, just like with Mary. I'm gonna go into the, into Hamilton, and that's it. It was a crazy couple of years. Um, yeah, and that was like you know, she was a, she was a dream role, quite frankly. You know, yeah. it was so epic and beautiful and intense, and I just loved it. Can I say I just. I like fangirled over that soundtrack for so long. I didn't get to see it in the tent, so I didn't see you. But like I, that's kind of when I, I like you became such an idol for me. By the way, Vilipa. So oh, you're so sweet. One day I'll cover cover some of that music for you. And also, like I was, I was fangirling as well, but I didn't get to see you in Hamilton because it was like five years later, and I couldn't afford to go for like the first five. And then I finally got, and then I bought my wife tickets for our anniversary for Christmas. Cause I was like, this is your gift for seven months from now <laughs> to go. And no, no originals were, were left. It was like, it was, it was still fantastic, but I was like, I don't see Philippa Sue. I don't see anybody. I know, so. but you know what? There's that film. There's going to yeah. be, a- there we have it. The world comes back. Can't wait to see some live theater. Yep. again. All right. Last question. This is maybe the hard, hard one throwing you on a deserted island you can have one meal with you and one album with you to eat forever what is it through the music can i go yeah go ahead okay Sue, what are you eating i think my meal would have to be um oh god i'm like you know, going back and forth between two things that I really like. The hardest question of all. I think it would have to be some sort of pasta situation. So I'm talking like, I, I, like, I don't know, I'm thinking like maybe like um, cavatelli or maybe like a little bit of like a ragu. I don't know, but definitely pasta. And then my album would be Joni Mitchell's Blue. So good. That's good. That's good. Oh, I think I would die quickly, but it would probably be ice cream. <laughs> I would, it like, well, yeah, I would just because flavor? you said island. Wait, I, you said island. I think I would. Okay, actually, so there's this Filipino dessert called Halo Halo, which is like ube I, ube flavored ice cream. This like purple yam flavored ice cream, but it's also topped with like various like you know Asian jellies and um and little rice crackers and things like that. Uh, yeah, that was like a childhood favorite of mine. So I'll I'll bring that. You are getting some of the food Every... groups layered in there though. So <laughs> but they're still cream. all carbs. <laughs> <Yeah>. All carbs. <laughs> And your album? It's for energy. Uh, oh, that's so hard. <sighs> Mass Seduction by St. Vincent. Ooh. Yeah, I think. I think. Are you coming out of coming out of the woodwork? I, I, Mass Seduction. Well, well, yeah. I mean, I I love I I love them. Um, and I, I haven't gotten to see them live, but every time that I hear them live, I feel like I'm watching them live. And so I think um, there's something in my soul that just ignites when I hear their music. Um, and it's kind of varied, too, I will say. Like, okay. there, I need some variance for music if it's going to be forever. That's Kathy Ong and Philippa Sue, two of the stars of Over the Moon, now streaming on Netflix.
And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Oscar predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Tanke, Janelle Riley, and Michael Schneider, I'm Clayton Davis. We'll see you on the circuit. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Neon and Hulu, presenting Palm Springs, starring Andy Samberg, Kristen Milioti, and J.K. Simmons. Named one of the best films of 2020 by the New York Times, The Washington Post, IndieWire, Vogue, and more. AV Club declares Palm Springs wasn't just the defining movie of the summer, but one of the defining movies of the year. Palm Springs, for your consideration in Best Picture and all other categories. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.